Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup. Thrilled to have you all here. Another exciting day. More cannabis data, more statistics, and hopefully some juicy insights for you all to walk away with at the end of the day. At the very least, you can walk away with some cool new data. Going to kind of continue from last week with some of the topics that were brought up. What's the point? You know, why are we all here? Well, we can put some of our skills to the test, literally to the test today, and try to be useful. Everybody's talking about THC inflation, and there was a new standard method that was put forth in California. We've been collecting data for a few months now from an interesting source in California where we can get a wide range of certificates of analysis from a large number of labs in the state. And it's been about a month and a half of since the, it's been you know, in compliance um, or since it's been mandated that you have to use the new test to stay in compliance. So yeah, let's take a look at the lab results. But before we do that, we'd love to kind of pick everybody's brains. And maybe there was something from last week that you thought was interesting, something new that you want to add to the table or any of your own interests, just to yeah, make it a conversation after all. So Dee Henderson, happy to see you today. Is there anything you'd like to put on the table? No, I don't have anything. Happy to be here. Thank you. Well, thrilled. Thrilled to have you here. And keep your ears open. And if there's anything that sparks your interests or there's any questions you have or anything at all, feel free to chime in. How about you, Graham? Did you have a chance to look at the data from last week? I'll, while you're saying what's on your mind, I'll go ahead and put the data from for this week into the chat. I I have looked at the Jungle Boys um data. Yeah, and um I I'm still looking through it right now. Uh the data looks really clean and all that. Um so I am hoping to do some machine learning techniques on the data set as soon as I clean it up. I love hearing that. Please let me know where any improvements could be made because it was kind of like a, I don't know, a, a first draft. Because as you mentioned, there's still some cleaning that could potentially be done to the data. Um, so if you can think of any, you know, standard techniques that need to be applied, just let me know. It's a work in progress. Right. This is how science gets done, right? You have to show your work to other people, let them critique it, and touch it up. So please be heavy with the red ink, Graham. Happy happy that you're looking at the data. I'll message you on LinkedIn. 
but overall it's really good awesome i love hearing that well there's a new data set today it's got its own intricacies it's messy in its own right but i think it's worth the look at so i'll show you some of that today how about you ruth i know you had put on the table this interesting project slash idea about identifying like organizations that licenses belong to and i'm still chewing on that that's in the the oven but i don't know <laughs> do, you, do you have any other thoughts or ideas or anything you want to add to the discussion for today no i haven't really done anything new i did talk to someone about that problem and now you would probably know better than i but he said that using uh, llms to address that problem of names and and trying to uh, homogenize them and uh kind of um cut them down to kind of a unique level um is has been done and you can do a search and find code out there that will essentially execute it now i don't program uh, i work with data but i don't program so i haven't verified that or tested it but i'm just putting that out there i'll peruse this because i mean if somebody solved the problem and we can stand on the shoulders of giants then let's do so yeah i'm always the, all for that <laughs> the question you raised is an interesting one is how do we even go about verifying the data once we have it and so that's something that I don't have a quick solution for, so maybe if any of you have good ideas, because so for example, the other week we used AI to extract lab results. Also, there's someone wanting to join. Oh, here we are. Thank So for example, I used one of the large language models to extract the flow gardens lab results. And one thing that I actually noticed is I was just going back through and doing some spot checks and it was applying the decarboxylation rate to some of the THCA values. I don't, because I guess either the large language model knows about decarboxylation or there was a footnote on the coa saying oh total thc is equal to delta 9 plus 0 0.877 thca but for whatever reason it was getting confused and was actually multiplying the thca value by 0 0.877 and returning it and then i even changed the prompt to specifically say don't you know don't apply that decarboxylation rate and it didn't work it, it just it just ignored me and just kept doing its own thing um and, and so that raises a really tricky problem where how do you like verify that say if you extract results with these large language models that they were correct because sometimes you do the spot check and everything works out so it's not like an every every time thing so it's just occasionally they get confused um yeah well so i have experience working in a litigation setting and the problem is if you submit 
an analysis. And if the other side finds anything wrong with it, you lose all credibility. You just, the whole thing gets tossed out. So everything has to be done very well. And if you want to essentially verify and do it right, the standard is, is, you know, if I were to do an analysis and I want to use it in litigation, someone else I'm working with would then reproduce my analysis to make, to, to verify that they get the same results. So they don't like go through and just kind of look at what I did. They actually are given the instructions. Okay, here's your mission. And they do it themselves and check to see that they get the same results. Now, you know, if you're using the same, uh, modeling and code then that's going to be problematic but if you someone else uses a different code you should get the same results now i want to put something else out there and that's that again this is in a litigation setting so it needs to be really really accurate if you have a list of names and you're trying to you know get it down to unique names and you have like joe a smith and then you have Joe Adam Smith, there's a very high likelihood that that's the same person, but you don't know for sure. <laughs> and so, you know, the other side could say, well, how do you know that's the same person? Now you can go and say, okay, well, we also have phone numbers. So do we have the same phone number attached to that same guy? And, you know, or address, and that's kind of what I was doing. But there are other cases where, you know, a reasonable person would probably conclude it's the same person, but you don't know for sure. And that just kind of, and I don't know, you know, maybe in the language model that you're using, it just assumes it's the same person and collapses it down. Well, then you have that same problem is how do you verify that it's, it's correct? And, you know, what, what is the algorithm that the language model is using? Are they saying, well, we need two or three separate identifiers to match before we conclude it's the same person or not? And again, I'm just throwing that all this out there as kind of interesting points to consider. It's actually relevant. And here's a, I actually may have already come up with a, an ad hoc solution. So this is what I actually just did today, working with producer names. No AI involved. Basically, I just sorted all the the names alphabetically. But I guess you could use like AI to find similar names, or even kind of take a step back. And there's um, text similarity, so you could just try to find highly similar names. And then do the classic human in the middle approach where what I did today was I just got a list of producer names and then just manually, I just created a standard name for each one. So for example, one was, um, I think ironworks collective Inc. And so they had, you know, ironworks collective comment Inc. Um, with no space. Um, and then, you know, one with the space. And so there was, I don't know, five different variations of Ironworks Collective. So I just got those and just added a standard name and then just did that mapping. And there's may, there was maybe in this data set, maybe 30 occurrences like that, where there's just similar names. So I think the best approach right now is maybe have AI 
or software point you in the direction of names that you think would be similar, but then you have to make the final judgment call. So then you have narrowed down your list. You make the judgment call and then kind of program that in. So that was the method I followed for today, but it's it's not infinitely scalable, right? You know, the you have hundreds and hundreds of names to review, then you back to the classic slow human problem. The the way I would handle that is to to do it where you assume it's the same person or organization and you run your analysis and then you assume that it's different ones and run the analysis again and see if you get statistically significantly different results. And if you do not, then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> You're muted, Keegan. Oh, yes. Good call. I was just going to say, I think tons of iteration and verification should be involved. So like you said, don't just try to extract the data once or find the similarities once, but do it over and over and over again and try to get the same result. And then to almost verify, um, have some sort of verification prompt or something. But I think these are new and interesting problems. and. You know, if you think of a clever solution or, you know, an ad hoc workaround, I don't know that they could be big right now. So interesting problems require interesting solutions. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, just to keep the discussion moving, Philo, happy to see you today. Would you like to put anything on the table? Maybe anything from last week? Anything that maybe we haven't talked about yet or anything that's really, really on your mind as far as cannabis goes? Hey, uh, I unfortunately missed last week, so I'm still kind of catching up. Uh, so I'll just uh, browse this time. Maybe next time I'll have something, some thought to add. Phenomenal, Philo. Basically, last time we looked at lab results in Florida. And this week, I've got lab results from California to share with you. You're welcome to chime in at any time and help guide the conversation. Cool. Virgil. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Thyla. Virgil, happy to see you today, too. Would love to have any input that you want to, to submit. Like anything you want to put on the table today? Uh, hi. Um, so uh, I would like to uh, say something about the data set from last week. So. Uh, Last time we saw the data were basically divided into flowers and derivatives, right? And we saw that basically these two categories uh, uh, separate the data set like perfectly, right? You can basically tell which data point is a flower or derivative by its location on, on the plots. Uh, and I also noticed that like we have large variance on the derivatives. So that makes me wonder if we can further divide the derivatives into smaller subcategories based on the lab reports from the Jungle Boy, if that is possible. I think great minds think alike, Virgil. I don't 
Well, it's doable with the Jungle Boys data. You'll just have to be clever because that data is kind of hiding in the product names. So we're kind of back to the problem of natural language processing. The data for today from California has the like the derivative slash concentrates. So today we'll call them concentrates. We have subtypes there. So it's brilliant that you bring that up because today we actually can, you know, subcategorize the data even further. And there's actually some interesting findings there. So I love that that's on your mind. So we can actually look at that today. Love it, Virgil. Yeah. So if that is the case, like, uh, what are some natural ways to to divide uh, derivatives? Good question. I'll show you the way that I chopped them up today. Um, I'm going off of various classifications that the flower company. So that's the source of the results in California we're using. So just on their website, they were just adding classifications like um, batter. Um, so various types of these concentrates are like batter and sauce and distillate. So there's, you know, so I'm going off of their names. So we don't really have standard categories, at least that I know of for concentrates. Um, I really just see, and this is actually common, um, like so in like the app development space, is everybody wants to categorize everything a little bit differently. Um, so I think it's something to, to chew on. So today we'll use this distributor assigned classifications and happy to have you kind of share your thoughts as we go through it because I don't know, they may not be perfect classifications. So love it, Virgil. Um, that's actually coming up really, really soon. So let's pause that for a second. And then real quick, just, well, welcome back, Daniel. I think we may have skipped over you. So you're welcome to, to chime in real quick if there's anything you want to put on the table, and then we can dive into some of the data. Hi, everyone. I'm just listening today. I have nothing that's, to put on, on the table right now. That's 100% okay. Listening is a, an important skill to learn. So I love that you're here listening. And as I always say, simply coming and lending your ears yeah, and your eyes, but you know, the, at least your ears, I think helps advance cannabis science, right? It wouldn't be a meetup if it's just me here talking to myself and that wouldn't really be doing any good. So it's the fact that we're here having a conversation, you know, maybe you got some thoughts, put something in the, the chat box. Any little bit, even just your interest helps advance cannabis science, I think. On that note, let's, let's look at some of this data. So I'm going to share my screen with you and let's dive into this data. So can everyone see this state results report for California? So here's the data just so that you can see where it's coming from. 
as always, love to give a shout out to companies when they make their certificates of analysis available. And this is a company that's doing so in California. So this is loading up right now. Let's see. Morgan's joining us. Okay. So while that's loading, I'll go ahead and just start talking about the data. So once again, distribution website, I'm not 100% certain if it's actually they're selling to consumers or to other producers. I'm fairly certain they're consumers, but it could just be a, a business to business site. But check it out, flowercompany.com. I've been collecting results here since mid-December. So going on three months now, or two months now, and have collected about 2,000 lab results, 2,300 to be, or 2,321 to be precise. This represents uh, 116 producers. We've observed 17 labs, and they're testing for pretty much the standard, you know, 13 cannabinoids that we see frequently. And then they're testing for around um, 38 terpenes. So um, I think the panel that we were looking at in Florida had 37. So this panel has um uh, a couple more terpenes and um one less than the other one too here's their website once again these are sort of the meta categories here and then just to kind of touch on virgil's point can we break down concentrates even further here let's look at one of these The flower company has marked this one as a live resin. So this, I'm kind of going off of their categories here. So this is where we kind of get to merge some data. So actually merged their classification of live resin with the actual lab results here. Um, so this is a COA. This one's actually from SC Labs. Um, and they're testing really high concentrations here. So look, this one's pushing up towards 100% of all material accounted for. Not quite, but getting there, right? You've got, I mean, that's about as close as you can get, right? You've got 93.97%. If you sum up all the cannabinoids, and then there's six percent terpenes, so there's really just zero point oh three percent substance that's unaccounted for. So that's quite remarkable. Keep in mind, there's the margin of error of the measurement. Um, so whatever SC Labs internal margin of error is so whether it's plus or minus 10 percent or 20 percent just keep that in mind that that's in there okay wonderful well here you are virgil 
these are the categories that flower company is using for their various concentrates also keep in mind the coas that we have for today are heavy on concentrates and i was thinking about this and there's nothing actually necessarily wrong about that for example in the past we've observed that flour is accounts for maybe i don't know anywhere from say 45 to 65 percent or so of sales in the various states um, that we have data on well it could just be that flour is being sold at you know the rate of 60 or 65 percent but there's just not as many like flower skews so to speak so it could just be you know one coa is getting sold you know in many 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 different eights so so that's a, a possibility so it could just be there's a lot of different types of concentrates so there could just be tons of different concentrates on the shelf but that doesn't necessarily mean that consumers are spending 56% of their dollars on concentrates. So little caveat to the data there. Okay, but Virgil, and please chime in if you have any specific thoughts here, but this is kind of fun because this is, these are classifications that the flower company used and there are also names that we've seen floating around the cannabis space. So as I was starting to mention earlier, we've got distillate. So that's where you're you know, distilling down the substance to try to get, you know, pure, you know, usually people are trying to get as pure THC as possible. Um, or, you know, maybe they're distilling down some terpenes too. The old school hash, right? And maybe if you're over in Europe, hash may be more prevalent. But this is, I mean, from my understanding, you know, one of the original ways that people have been concentrating down cannabis. Um, so, like, I think essentially just using water or screens um, and various compression methods, uh, from my understanding. So it's, how many of these uh, subcategories also shows up in the Jungle Boys data set? Good question. I haven't actually looked at these in the Jungle Boys data set. And so that actually, I see. I see. now that could be a really good, now that's a good project. So basically now we have category names. So these are the ones that flower company used so let's just make these our standard ones now now what we can do and i haven't done it yet so you can beat me to it is we can go through the product names in the jungle boys data set and these may or may not be in the product names i want to say they are so it should be i don't know uh stra strawberry cough sauce or you know blue dream 
live resin, so on and so forth. So we can try to see if any of these names, these subcategory names are in the product name and try to assign them. So if any of you want to take up this challenge, please do. Otherwise, I'll try to get this same chart made for the Jungle Boys. So that's the challenge is replicate this subcategory chart, except for the Jungle Boys and see what types of concentrates they're making. This would basically be the average that you would expect from some producer or some processor in California. Well, Jungle Boys are in Florida. Maybe people in Florida like different types of concentrates. Maybe they like the same ones. Maybe Jungle Boys are better at making certain types than others. You know, maybe, who knows? I think these are kind of, you know, brand new things that hopefully, I mean, other people may have already figured this out, but yeah, we're doing it in a collaborative manner. So we, we've now observed them in California. Let's see at least what they look like for the Jungle Boys in Florida. Or if you have data in your own state, take a look. Love it, Virgil. And then once again, this is not real. Just, I guess, go ahead and uh, give all these companies a shout out just because, hey, you know, we're looking at your data and, and may as well just kind of point out to you like, oh, you know, what is the source of all our data? Well, you know, here it is. And once again, it may not be a random sample. You know, who knows? May, you know, it's definitely not a random sample. These are lab results that were listed on the Flower Company's website. So for whatever reason, these are the vendors that they chose. They may or may not be the top vendors in California. And once again, these are the labs that these producers chose. And once again, these may or may not be the top labs in the state. It's just the labs that are in our sample. But the main reason I'm showing you this is we have a pretty wide range of companies here. You know, of course, the like the majority of the lab, or not the majority, but a bulk of the lab tests are saved by SC Labs and Encore Labs. And a good chunk of the tests are for Ironworks Collective and Central Coast Ag. But there's still some other companies represented here. So I was just thinking that it's a maybe it's not a random sample, but it's at least a I think a, a nice hearty sample of producers and labs in California. So not gonna pick on any one company, but hey, thanks to all these companies for making your data available through the flower company, because now we can take a look and try to you know, learn something about cannabis in California. Okay, going to run through basically the classic charts that we're used to looking at, and then can actually get to some of the juicy bits, which is why you all came here for, right? The, the THC inflation and the new California standard method. So that's coming up. So stay tuned. 
but first have to do due diligence and just look at all the pertinent data points. And they're interesting in their own right. So here is the plot of total cannabinoids to total terpenes. Once again, we don't have the largest sample here of say the full sun cannabis, but what I always find interesting here is, of course, you know, there, it, there's not like a perfect separation, but it kind of looks like outdoor cannabis may test a little bit lower on total cannabinoids, but may or, or may not sometimes test higher on total terpenes. Or, you know, and once again, it could just be something unique to the producers. Maybe it's nothing about the sun. Maybe it's 100% just the growers who grow outside also put a high emphasis on terpenes. The growers that grow inside may put a high emphasis on total cannabinoids. It, you know, there could be absolutely nothing about the sun. You know, it could just be a, an, another variable that we're not capturing. I had a thought about that. Oh, was, was that someone chiming in? Yeah, um, I just had a quick thought about that. Um, is this so Maureen? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Um, can I say that terpenes are produced in um, plants as a defense mechanism against insects a lot of the time? So that might be why stuff that's grown outdoors has uh, more terpenes. Yes, exactly. So that that's exactly the other variable that we haven't thought about. So maybe it's not the sun per se. So maybe cranking up your lights indoors isn't necessarily going to do the trick. But you're right. They, they could be getting chewed up uh, by various plant eating organisms. True. And, you know, hey, if you, you know, you get more terpenes out of it, then you can make. So actually, Morgan, that's sort of a, a longstanding interesting idea is, is there is there any way to basically like mimic, and once again, this is just a, like a funny idea, but is there any way to sort of mimic to the plant that, oh, you're getting chewed up by by various predators. So my just kind of fun example was, could you just hole punch a bunch of leaves to make the plant think that it's getting chewed up? But I'm sure that may, may or may not work. Someone may or may not have already tried that. But there could be you know, a better idea that someone may have. I'm not super familiar with it, but I'm sure that there is some research that's been done even if not in cannabis plants, maybe in some other plants. Um, but I think it could be related to some like enzymes that's in bug saliva when they're eating it that interacts. I have no idea. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was kind of a little bit worried about is I think it may actually already be a thing where it actually may be chemical, maybe an enzyme. Um, and so it could actually be already a thing where you know people are spraying various you know, uh, synthetic enzymes on their plants. But but actually, 
another tangent and then we can move forward it's all about i guess in a controlling way stressing your plant and just we had talked about purple cannabis in weeks prior and i finally heard someone mention how they induce purpleness in their plants and they were saying that they drop the temperatures at night when um when the plants flowering um cut you know let them get cold so that's kind of how they're inducing stress and they get a purpleness in their flower so okay final tangent and then i can kind of get us back on track here but i actually love these tangents and love these thoughts so morgan or anyone else if you have them definitely chime in makes things interesting on that note back to these concentrate types um i know virgil at least is interested in this and this was at least enlightening for me because before today these names really didn't mean much to me i presume they're about how the pro how you know the processing method works um so the only one that i have a vague idea of is sauce and my vague idea is it's somehow a mixture of terpenes with the concentrated cannabis um and that's kind of showing out in the data where the sauce sure enough tends to have high terpene concentrations and we're talking really high right so the the lowest ones are around six percent going all the way up to 12 percent terpenes um but those do have kind of the lower total cannabinoids interesting the the most consistent with the the high terpene concentrations appear to be these resins um and oh, actually the, the distillates and the distillates may or may not be up there but i think they're getting covered up um so i think i i think the distillates may kind of cluster around the resins so they may just be getting covered up so uh, there's uh, I've done some research on this and I don't know the difference between all of the ones in here, but generally the ones that are harder um, have fewer terpenes in them. Kind of the, the name is reflective of the, the consistency. So crumble is going to be drier than sauce. And because it's drier, that kind of means there's less terpenes. Okay. Oh, and I bet you you know a chemist could add something interesting to this discussion where you know the cannabinoids have really high boiling points and you can make crystallized thc i think and i think you can also make crystallized cbd that so is, if you probably yes. the diamond the diamond is probably th is thca crystallized yes so i used to work in um, a lab and we had diamonds and sauce come in all the time uh the diamond parts, the crystal parts are always going to be the uh, cannabinoids and the sauce is always um, where the terpenes are because when it's formed, they basically make it under pressure and all of the cannabinoids crash into crystals and everything that's left is the sauce. And they sell them either together or separately. 
I love that you have experience here. So this is my other big question is, can, do you have any thoughts on why we're seeing these diamonds and even uh, some of the resins to this point shake out here at not like low, but you know, this 30 to 60% total cannabinoids, whereas a lot of the others are up at like, you know, 70 to 90%. I would You're bet that um, it kind of is going to depend on the way the state classifies diamonds, because if the state classifies diamonds as only diamonds, and then it's only going to be the crystals and there really shouldn't be any terpenes in there. The total cannabinoid percentages are going to be pretty high. But if the state classifies diamonds in the diamonds and sauce category and the laboratory is fully uh, mixing everything up before they're testing it, then they're not just going to be grabbing the diamond part to test it. They're going to be um, subsampling the whole thing. So if it has sauce when the laboratory gets it and diamonds, it's probably going to test out lower cannabinoids, higher terpenes. So I don't know how the state of California classifies that or how the specific um, producers maybe even classify and sell it. And but I'm curious is what else is in there? Because though those diamonds have low cannabinoids, low terpenes, what what what's 40 percent or, you know, what what else is in there? Well. Well, good question. And real quick, I just well, since I prepared the data, I just realized that there may be a chance that there's some infused joints down here. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Because I would just, say that there's some terpenes that might not be included in this list as well. I'm not sure what the total terpene list for um, California is. So there could be a, more terpenes. It's just not included in the numbers. And this Good is point. by percentage, right? The total cannabinoids, that's uh, this is percent? Yeah, I should have put the percent sign, but yeah, these are both in percent. Those must be infused. I, I can't imagine a diamonds going to test and getting 60% cannabinoids. I think I'm going to have to double check the data um, because this actually needs an, uh, another subcategory because I think these must, because I tend to take, because how I did this was first I categorized everything as either flower or concentrates. And I tend to put anything that like has a concentrate added as a concentrate. Um, and then I subcategorize that as, oh, if it has diamond anywhere in the, like the product name or the category name, it's a diamond. So it's possible that those are like a diamond infused pre-rolls, so to speak. Also, then, another thing I was gonna add is the distillate generally when you, Watch something with ethanol, you pull all the terps out. So I bet all those distillates are um, added terpenes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's a maybe a contentious point or a point that isn't well defined yet because we don't have a good measure on, say, added terps or not, right? We just have the COA and it just has terpenes on there. The one place we actually did have a source for this was the Massachusetts product list, because for whatever reason, they have additives listed and the various concentrates have to, to list if they add terpenes or maybe they don't have to, but that some of them were. So we, so that was our only measure of, you know, what percentage of these have terpenes added, 
like I said, in Massachusetts, for some producers, it was close to half. I don't know what it was at the market level. Um, but yes, so that's actually something that maybe one of you good data scientists could try to figure out is do these sauces have terpene profiles that are similar to that that we see in cannabis, right? Does it look like it's just, you know, highly refined cannabis terpenes? Or do they have sort of weird profiles that you wouldn't get from just um, concentrating cannabis? And then maybe you could have some sort of statistical test to say like, oh, we think there's terpenes added or we don't think there's terpenes added. Um, I'm not, I'm still working on trying to get um, any data really out of Pennsylvania, but um, when I do get that, I'll let you know. But I know that in Pennsylvania, they add a lot of different terpenes, I guess, or flavors, uh, whatever you want to call it, to vapes and and distillates. So it's like, you know, mint flavored and strawberry cheesecake flavored and all these crazy things. Well, once again, you know, if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it. And we keep talking about, well, why are people experiencing effects? Well, it's probably because they're consuming various chemical compounds. So, you know, we probably want to you know, at least start measuring them and start, you know, thinking about them at the very least. Um, so I love that you're pursuing that data. So definitely phenomenal work there, Morgan. And then I'll just cover the final question and then we can move on. And, and what I don't even think I have a good answer to this is what is the other percentages in these products? So this one, this liquid diamonds, that's around 90%. You know, um, actually 90% cannabinoids, about 1% terpenes. So there's, you know, 9% of that product that's unaccounted for. So what is it? Well, you know, I have heard a chemist make an argument that if you do use a solvent that, you know, no matter what, you're not going to be able to purge 100% of it. Maybe another chemist could uh, could dispute that. So to a certain extent, there may be mini minuscule amounts of solvent, right? So it could just be, you know, 0.0001% or, you know, 0.01% or, you know, whatever the permissible limit is, as long as it's under that. And once again, I've heard people say that, you know, solvents are used in many, many things. For example, I've heard they're used in decaffeinated coffee. And the general rule is, you know, the there's a permissible limit and the producer has to make sure that, you know, there's not residual solvent left in their product. So I doubt any of these products have like 10% of residual solvents. So what is left, I don't really know, but just kind of um, from what I've heard is it sounds like it's just miscellaneous plant particles. So various like fats and lipids, um, if anyone else knows better. Um, I was gonna say, we gotta take into consideration the measurement certainty of the laboratory as, as well. Um, and then any terpenes or cannabinoids that were not accounted for, not considered in the in the list not tested for in other words 
but but there's still you know there's still got to be like you know te- sometimes 10 to 15 percent of just like matter of some yeah. sort i was like diamond it's pretty pure i i can look up a bunch of our diamond tests and see if they if they match but um but they- things like cash and uh rosin um some like rso's and some of those things um butters maybe probably do have a little bit more um, plant matter than diamonds would i, I would think so you know once again, I wish I was a chemist or a biologist, but I'm just, I'm, you know, trying to slowly learn, but, but probably more of the, like the hardy compounds. Um, so I'm sure some of the plant compounds, um, I don't know, maybe chlorophyll or stuff like that, maybe readily, um, is, re- is maybe readily removable. Whereas maybe um, think I don't know if uh, once again I may stop here because I'm going to embarrass myself um, by <laughs> how little I know about biology. But um, but like I said, from what I've heard, things like proteins and lipids, and I don't even really know what those are, or potentially carbohydrates. I don't know if had car- there's carbs in plants, but just various combinations of carbon and hydrogen you know um and you know hopefully not in combinations uh you know in these solvents but in general i think if you go to a laboratory it may cost you a buck but i think they could probably put one of these samples under a mass spec and really just tell you probably close to 100 percent of everything that's in there it's just probably most of it is just miscellaneous, you know, matter that you don't really care about. So, but I don't know. I love these thoughts and questions because, you know, we can pursue these further. You know, I pulled, it just, up, I pulled up a couple COAs of our diamonds and saw like 98.2 cannabinoids. So just food for thought. So. We would have been at like the touching the top there. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dive into this. I'm gonna ask yeah, some. Yeah, yeah. Do we do a search for you know what what particles make up a typical plant? <laughs> um, well, so. it, it should strip all that out. I mean, I don't. I don't want to get. I don't want to digress. So I'm just. I'm just curious. I also wonder were these tests uh, filtered for past fail? Are these past only? Good question. It's a hundred. They're all pass. So these, once once again, this is a big highlight of how it's a non-random sample. So these are all products that are being actively sold in California. So presumably they all pass their compliance tests. Um, we could double check that, but uh, I I can't I can't imagine they're accidentally selling a, a failed product. Um, That would sure. never happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's possible. Um, I, I don't necessarily want to be the person to discover that, but um, it's possible. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's worth double checking. So, you know, double check to make sure they're all passed. Um, once again, I mean, 
I'll, I'll move on just to be respectful of everybody's time here in a bit to make sure we get to all the material. But I mean, it's a really important point because, you know, we've saw in Washington where not many, but some producers have a really, what I would think of as like an alarmingly high failure rate. Um, you know, if you test one sample, and you fail, you know, you're going to have a 100% failure rate. So you almost have to kind of discard those. But, you know, if you're testing, you know, 30, 100 samples. Um, once again, you know, you may be technically in compliance, but I don't know, it just you know, seems like at least the producer may want to kind of clean up their own situation because it's hard to imagine that being profitable. But um, but but anywho, that's a, that's a whole conversation for another day. Definitely a conversation worth having. Um, what happens sometimes too is that if products fail, um, they'll just get remediated or processed into compliance. So. Yes, and that's you know a, a whole other concern because you know does that meet the the rules maybe maybe not uh depending on the state but as i mentioned earlier the reason that's potentially of concern is you know kind of from the chemistry point of view is you know there's probably still trace amounts of compounds in them even if they distill them down until they pass compliance and you know you just think that it would you know the consumer should just be aware of that like i mentioned before not every consumer is going to care right a lot of people eat you know uh junk food and this and that and you just don't care um but i just think um that you know people should at least have access to that data just so that they can be aware of it right so maybe you know if you're buying a distillate and you know you go and look it up and it's uh you know it's coming from five different flower lots that all failed for different pesticides like i don't know i i'd uh pump the brakes on that one but, yeah um, i always request a certificate of analysis because in my opinion there's a big difference between like flour with maybe 80,000 colony forming units per gram of total yeast and mold versus zero to 10,000. Um, oh. So there are like, I know different states have different limits when it comes to total yeast and mold, but there's a lot of states where, I mean, if it's right under the threshold, they're just gonna sell it anyway. It doesn't matter if it's 99,000 or 80,000. I mean, I've personally used it in a purchase decision before where you can basically kind of see if, uh, I mean, not perfectly, right? You can still get pure non-detects across the board and maybe still use some pesticides, but you can kind of see who's an organic producer versus who's not. And once again, they're not, not like organic, organic, but, you know, I'd much rather see just non-detects across the board than, you know, trace amounts for, you know, a couple pesticides. Uh, once again, some people may not care, but I kind of use it as a signal that, oh, this person may not be using pesticides, and this person kind of looks like they may be. Um, 
So now that we know that this is a this is of people's interest, maybe you can talk about it more next week. But I'm gonna run through run through a bunch of charts for you real quick since. Wait, I want to the this THCA thing. This yes. chart right here, I think, is super important because of the whole issue of THCA hemp. Yes. And so, if you look at uh, flour out there that has high THCA, what's the probability that it's under the 0.3% threshold for delta nine? And this says not very likely. I. I love that that's what you're thinking, Ruth. And in fact, I actually drew a little red line on here, but then I uh, I removed it because I don't know, I didn't necessarily want to force the conversation in that direction. But it's actually worth noting since we had talked about that in previous weeks, right? That was the excuse, yeah, basically the excuse or that people are using to get by with the THCA flower. And what we saw in practice with Flow Gardens was they were basically just trying to see, does our COA come back for less than 0.3% Delta 9 THC? And of course, that's hotly contested, but that, that was their rule of thumb. Um, and I was curious what the Delta 9 THC concentrations were in flour. And I don't know if it's, measured that accurately state by state because in florida i don't remember us getting um, very high detections there but it but you're right in california very few may you know probably i don't know five we could actually calculate but you know maybe five percent or so of the all of the flour is going to meet the that 0.3% delta 9 threshold. It, and virtually none of it would meet the total THC of less than 0.3%. So du duly noted, Ruth, and it maybe uh, maybe should be duly noted for some hemp producers. Um, but you know, once again, maybe maybe they do want to seek out the, these varieties that are testing at very low concentrations. But um, yeah, I like this graph, and like I think adding as much data to it from different states would be great. I was just looking through stuff that I've purchased, and then I remember stuff that I've tested. Pretty much anything that's like above eighteen percent THCA is going to be above point three um, THC from my memory. Yes. I'd like to see like if the data kind of reflects that across the border, maybe that's just in my area. I think this is something we should keep an eye on because for whatever reason, and actually this actually gets pertinent when we look at the, the standard method that comes into play. I, and I'll kind of show you evidence for it before, but it looks like, um, potentially before the method delta nine wasn't testing as high and then potentially with the new method they're actually finding more of this delta nine thc so i don't know for whatever reason it may not be that well measured so something to keep an eye on but the other th 
point I actually kind of want to point out here is potentially these samples that are, have high delta nine, there may be some decarboxylation going on with these samples. And there was something that I had observed with one of the Emerald Cup results that kind of got me thinking. Um, and like, so for example, let's say this was your sample, you know, and you tested it 25% THCA and almost 5% Delta 9. It could have been like something went wrong in your cure, or you may not have like properly transported that sample to the lab correctly or something like that, because it sure looks to me like, you know, you lost some of your THCA, you know, it decarboxylated somehow. Um, so speaking of decarboxylation, just to kind of keep things moving, here's actually a super interesting chart, which is the same chart THCA to delta nine, except it's for concentrates. And I thought this was interesting because it kind of shows you, you know, what's actually going on at a chemical level with some of the, the concentrates, where sure enough, you know, the diamonds, where we were saying that those are just the really, really concentrated THCA, or th th those were the hypotheses, it's kind of charting out within the data. So remember, the, the total cannabinoids we were looking at before had a decarboxylation rate applied to the THCA. So here there's no decarboxylation rate and you're seeing values, you know, really, really, you know, pushing it, right? All, almost up to 100%. Um, then you see, you know, the, 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 like the old school hash coming out at around 60%. And then it seems like, oh, you know, people are coming up with these new methods, um, uh, like the batter is kind of the next. Um, and then, of course, the those diamonds. And then what's interesting here is these co concentrates, they already have the majority of the THCA decarboxylated. So the sauce is kind of, you know, almost the... Uh, not quite half and half, but like about, you know, one to three THCA to Delta nine. And then the resins and rosins and distillates. And curiously, the liquid diamonds are all Delta nine THC heavy. So these are all what I would call like, like activated concentrates. So from my understanding, you could I mean, maybe someone else has a better understanding, but you could probably put those in edibles, right? Isn't isn't that how edibles are made? Is people use distillates? Um, so, so, so hopefully Virgil or someone maybe maybe this helped you understand these concentrates a little better. So at least put them in perspective for me. Okay. I know I always promise that we'll get out of here at 4.30, but there's a lot more, a lot, a lot more today. So if you're all for it, maybe I can just run through these charts real quick because there's, there's some interesting stuff here. Um, 
I'm actually just going to kind of scroll through some of these because I'll let you kind of dig into them more, but the the trends are, you know, what's really interesting. So once again, you know, total terpenes, right? We've observed yes, there's fewer in pre-rolls than flower than concentrates. Cool. You know, so if you're interested in some of the terpene profiles, they're here. I did want to just pause real quick because Morgan's here. Curiously, and I can maybe dig into these more for a future week. There were a handful, about a dozen pre-rolls that were linalool dominant. And Morgan, you had mentioned that maybe you've got uh, an eye for some of these linalool products. Um, for whatever reason, we weren't seeing any flower concentrates, but there was one producer making, or at least a couple producers maybe, making linalool dominant pre-rolls. Wow, so, that's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so I'll, I'll dig into those more. Um, and then once again, just uh, these classic terpene ratios, you know, one to three alpha humulene to beta caryophylline seems to be pretty, pretty consistent. So, you know, these could maybe be checks to see, you know, do concentrates have terpenes added? I don't know, maybe, maybe or maybe not, these could be useful, right? So for example, if something has limonene added, you know, it may not fall, you know, on this curve. So, and then once again, dominant terpenes. Just the only thing I was going to point out there was, and th this is a bit more abstract, but this is these are just abstract clusters by basically dominant terpene. So. Um, and so I was basically trying to see, does any one lab have like a unique terpene profile or does any one producer have a unique terpene profile? Um, and kind of what it was kind of looking like to me was it looks like sort of this one producer um, may kind of be using, you know, this one lab and they're, you know, for whatever reason, they're kind of clustering. So it, it may not be really the lab per se, but it may be more of the producer. But um, but for whatever reason, this one producer looks like they have a kind of a unique terpene profile. So anywho, that's, a, that's kind of off topic. Let's get to the interesting stuff here. Okay, so California, mandated a standard method for testing cannabinoids in flower and pre-rolls. I do not think it applies to concentrates. Um, so, you know, someone can please correct me if I'm wrong. 
basically they said that okay you know you can start using the new method in october you have to start using it by january 1st of 2024. well we all know how businesses work um and just maybe humans in general right maybe not every human but a lot of people like to wait till you know the last minute uh, and then you finally you know do whatever you're supposed to do so you know maybe if people were going to change maybe they didn't change until the last minute i was going to say that i think most laboratories had to switch their um extraction solvent that they were using for their methods so I'm not sure if it applies to both, but I would think that the laboratories have to apply it to all of the products because otherwise they'd have to run it on two different instruments. But I don't know that for sure. Basically, they have a choice. They can either do methanol or they can do a mixture of acetonitrile to methanol. Um, I actually was talking to a chemist who said that they were thinking the ideal solvent was chloroform, but oh. but that that's like uh, too toxic of a chemical. Um, and you know, right? It, like it may be a better solvent for the job, but you don't want maybe just a bunch of you know analysts basically you know fresh out of college using a bunch of chloroform right so maybe that's the argument against it um but but okay so long story short here is there's actually not enough data past um the first well and uh the data is not actually statistically different so i calculated these a trend line before and after the compliance date um, and it's not actually statistically significant at like the you know the 95 percent confidence level but um and i i actually kind of wanted uh to talk about this but but long story short is this is what we had talked about last week is why are we collecting all this data well we could potentially trend the various analytes so here's basically a trend of total cannabinoids and like i said i did the trend line before and then after and once again they're not statistically different and there's a, a few reasons why we may see a downward trend one you know we may just not have um, observed any of these these high testing products yet so for whatever reason maybe those ones haven't hit the shelf yet so it could be a hundred percent sample bias so and this is the the importance of having a non-random sample because i mean the importance of having a random sample because our samples non-random people can just chalk everything up to sample bias so the fact that this is lower could 100% just be sampling bias. But this, it, I mean, it still tells a nice story. Um, so I'll, I'll tell the nice story and then try to debunk it as much as I can. 
but basically the nice story is that we experience with the phenomena that people are calling like you know thc inflation which is basic and once again this isn't really a long enough time span to really measure a good trend and i don't have enough data here which is once again sampling bias so remember i started collecting this data in mid-december so it's basically in mid-december there were still a few products on the shelf that were tested way back in august well the fact that they're still on the shelf in december is a factor right so it could be that the ones still on the shelf you know weren't the really high testing uh weren't the high testing products so there's actually sampling bias on that end too so that's no good um so there may not really actually be a positive trend but basically the the claim is like every week you know the thc numbers they're 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 in, there's um you know they're gradually increasing so it's like you know at a certain point you've got you know samples with, and this is flower by the way so you've got samples testing you know up to 40 percent north of 40 percent total thc and that's basically um and maybe this has been going on for some time and it's basically gotten to the point where okay you know consumers they're just not really believing these numbers and other scientists aren't believing these numbers um they're being criticized there's people doing um like secret shopper tests uh the, the one i know of was actually in canada um where they just bought a bunch of products and retested them and just see we're seeing like oh you know what's the difference between the label and the new test so people are just getting aware of this they've been aware of this and now the state said okay you have to use a standard method like this is just getting out of control um and so they had up until january 1st and then basically the, the the story that you would tell would be okay after the compliance date you're at least not seeing you know as many high testing samples you do see this one that that squeaked over 40 percent and so once again it could be an oddity to the data maybe that's some infused pre-roll that accidentally you know snuck through my my data cleaning so that that one's a little odd but one would hope that okay we put in the new testing regulations we at least see fewer really really high testing samples and on gen you know in uh, on average the you know the the concentrations fall kind of to to back up the story you would say and once again, maybe there, this is not a real good positive trend because maybe I should have just started in October. Or, so once again, we just need more data. Um, how do we get more data from the past? Uh, I don't know yet, but if you have any good ideas, more data, the better. So the, the story here would be maybe there's no significant change in 
concentrates um the trend line is different but once again it's not statistically different and you're still seeing thc concentrations for the concentrates up into the 90 percent um and you know they generally look like they're between 70 and like 95 percent and maybe there's nothing odd about that maybe people can actually just process cannabis to those high concentrations so that's that um, and then here's actually the the total thc um and once again it actually looks like the trend is the same so maybe maybe it's actually just flat you know it's I want to say it's not statistically actually i was going to say it's not statistically different than zero but i didn't actually check that i don't think um yeah unfortunately i didn't check that so this trend may or may not be statistically different than zero um it doesn't look like too too steep so just there's flower but maybe maybe there was a like a like a discontinuous drop so not saying for certain um and it's actually actually i didn't test if it was i didn't test that um but there's actually yes i did test that uh, i want i want to say basically nothing statistically significant because i just don't think there's enough data yet in the trends just not that different where like you know is are these points on average lower than before i don't know right there's still this one where that one actually may be an outlier but i don't know is it so that's like like 40 49 total thc you know is that just some infused pre-roll that snuck through but in general you're see, you know, you're seeing fewer of these extreme outliers, and maybe that the average, you know, dropped, maybe. Um, and then here's the concentrates, and once again, we're not expecting a big change here, um, and it doesn't really look like a big change before and after the compliance date. Um, so that's that's basically the, you know, the, the structure of the study. Um, and if you need a control, um, so basically the, the formal model is the difference in differences approach. And so if you were going to try to link a causal effect to this relationship you need a control to someone who wasn't affected by this regulation and what i was thinking was we could use a florida lab because it's not impossible that for whatever reason january just always tests lower or maybe the cannabis industry as a whole is just testing lower for some reason so you need a control so someone who doesn't have to follow these new compliance rules and so i was thinking you could basically just look at labs in florida or another state and see 
did they experience a discontinuous jump here at the first? So that's how that's the you know the statistical framework for how you can test this. But as I mentioned, unfortunately, we just don't really have enough data yet um, since this was put into place. So maybe I was a little overly eager to do this analysis, but I just thought the time was right since it had come up in the conversation last week. Um, and this was on people's minds. The, the final kind of measure that we can use to see, oh, was there like a big change was it's just total terpenes, right? Because those should more or less stay, you know, stay the same. Um, once again, we're drawing this negative trend, but I don't know. Uh, it just could be a quirk to the data. But in general, you know, you're still seeing terpene values anywhere from like, you know, around 1% to 4%. Um, and then in concentrates, you know, no real, no real effect in terpenes and concentrates, right? And so you would just basically, you, know, you wouldn't expect any sort of big change there. Um, and you're not really seeing it. If you're going to publish that graph, you might want to change. I think you mislabeled the axis. Oh, right here. Yep, you're right. You're no. right. <laughs> I love no. that, though. I mean, well, only if you're going to publish it. Well, I'm showing it to you now. So, um, yeah, I'll make that correction. And, right, this is, I love the red ink, right? If, if you're doing an analysis, right, you need some red ink. So uh, I, I love it. So I love that. It shows you're paying attention. So I love that, Ruth. Okay. Now the final thing, and then uh, we can really walk away from this, uh, at least for today, was I thought it would be pertinent to at least break it down by lab. And just to be super respectful of the labs, I was, you know, once again, was talking with a, a lab and trying to figure out, like, it's a fine line to walk with um, this data availability because we've pointed out the, the benefits of having the data available, right? We can actually look at it. We can get a good understanding of, say, the average concentrations or the concentrations over time. We can learn a ton from the data, but what are the costs? And so some of the businesses don't really want their data out there. And one of the reasons they give is, hey, it could actually lead to bad publicity, right? There could just be, you know, quirks to the data. Maybe it's analyzed in an odd way, right? Maybe it, like, for example, maybe I lumped in all the pre-rolls in weird ways, you know, the, like I could have made a mistake. So, you know, the, some of the companies are thinking that, hey, we don't necessarily, you know, want our, you know, brand uh, besmirched because we put out our data. And so with any deal, you know, you have to kind of make a compromise. And I, you know, from talking to, you know, various people who have interest in this, the compromise seems to be on anonymity, where it's basically, 
we'd love to see the data. We don't really want to put one particular company on blast, but it's still, you know, worthwhile to at least look at the, the big picture. And so this kind of makes everyone happy where we just, to the best we can, anonymize the data. So here I've just labeled the labs one to 10. So labs now completely anonymous. Once again, you can get the data and find out, but at least for this presentation, anonymous. But we still get to look at the overall trend. So we actually still get to figure out a lot about the market while respecting everybody's privacy. Um, and so what do we learn from this? Well, what I learned right off the bat is, you know, there's one lab that has been testing much lower than all the other labs. You know, um, and now that once again, this this is just this could potentially just be static um, where we just have kind of odd observations. But it could be that they it could potentially be that they were testing lower than the standard method. So it could have been like, oh, wow, we were we were too parsimonious and we actually uh, need to, you know, increase our measurements to meet the state standard maybe maybe not uh, but or maybe they were already on the state standard who knows but i just observed that and then i also observe for whatever reason a lot of these high testing values like the the ones north of 45 percent tend to be this light purple color so i think it's uh, lab 10 maybe um, and once again, it could just be completely harmless. It could just be that lab is designating all of the in, uh, infused pre-rolls as flour on their COAs, and I'm just not catching that. So it could just be all of these are misclassified data points. That's a possibility. Um, the the less generous interpretation is this lab was you know putting out numbers maybe it was from a valid method but maybe just not in compliance with the new method and then okay new method comes by they have to cut it out so it sure looks like that to me where it looks like in general most people are testing between you know, 20 to 35% on average. Um, and then uh, this one lab had some outliers and then they just basically cut out their outliers. Then the other lab with outliers is this one around 40%, which is the light blue. Once again, could just be the way I classified the data, but for whatever reason, they also have a, a high the high testing one after the compliance date. So that may be an observation worth looking at. But once again, I'm not trying to pick on any one lab or any producer. Um, you, can also, yeah. you can also look at for that lab, if uh, the data points at the top is a particular supplier, and then after the compliance thing, maybe it's a different supplier in there. I look. Now that's a thought I didn't have. So I, once again, this is why we bring all our great minds together. 
maybe it's got nothing to do with the lab maybe it is a producer maybe that one producer uses that lab that's a good thought root um so so once again i think it's a little early to tell but one would hope so this is what the california regulators would hope and well, you know time will tell is that given the standard method this somewhat noisy distribution of lab results which is kind of all over the board you know ranging 15 percent um, that you know that's a pretty large variation they would i think like to see this kind of converge so hopefully you know the labs kind of start coming to a consensus and you know you quit seeing like these crazy outliers um so maybe the ones testing low maybe test a little higher um and then the ones testing high may test a little lower so once again look we have very very few observations like so some of these just have you know one or two data points so you know just keep that in mind but just to go ahead and give the the california regulators a pat on the back right they worked hard on their method i'm sure they got a lot of grief over it um you know and you know got to give the labs uh, a little credit too right they had to adopt this new method they had to you know rewrite their sops um maybe give up some of their hard-earned trade secrets uh about you know various methods that they've developed so you know it's been a tumultuous time for a lot of people maybe it's been tough for some producers um that you're having to explain why your numbers are lower tough for retailers having to explain to consumers why the numbers are lower so it's really a tumultuous time for everyone but this is really what the regulators would like to see where it's hey in december once again we don't have tons of observations but and it's not statistically different but this is what they'd like to see that hey you have tons of not tons but you have a number of observations with pretty high thc concentrations after the new method was mandated then you see the average concentration drop to hopefully one that's you know kind of realistic and accurate and then you actually have a, a better looking distribution um so once again we need tons and tons of more you know tons and tons more uh more data more observations but i don't know um something to think about um so and then uh here here are just all the cannabinoids um if just to, to show them but as i mentioned thca we're seeing you know almost 35 percent average in flower in december and now you know we're seeing less than 30 percent average um, in flower so i mean that's that's a big drop in in one month so while it may or may not be statistically different it sure appears to be visually different so once again 
pick apart my analysis, I tried to point out all the various shortcomings, and there are many. But it's at least, you know, looking like directionally correct, where, you know, it's not like THC is increasing all of a sudden after they put their new method in place. But it could be that this new standard method may have been exactly what was called for, you know. Um, you know, it may not be perfect, right? There still could be, you know, a couple people pushing the numbers up there. And, you know, that's where, you know, maybe um, uh, the state regulators or the state auditors, they still have some work to do. Um, but maybe that's valid. But I thought it was pertinent that we take a look because this is what everybody's talking about. California worked really, really hard on this method and as i said every you know the labs the producers and the retailers all had to get on board so as data scientists we can at least take a look and see how everything performed on that note any final thoughts comments questions thank you i thought this was really really tremendous Oh, I'd, I'd love hearing that, Ruth. Let me look to see. It looks like it, it's just us, but I love hearing that because, you know, sometimes I don't know, you know, what's meaningful, you know, what should we be spending our time on? I think that was a question that Daniel and another um, member meetup put forward last week. You know, why are we even here? Well, we're here to try to help answer some of the questions that people have. We're trying to provide some of the statistics that people are in demand of. And even if it's just one molecule at a time, today, total THC was kind of on everyone's mind, then I think we're helping, but it's at least fun having a look at cannabis data, right? So it's good to have any. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Too cool. Well, definitely a big thank you to all of you. Thanks for coming today, Morgan. Phenomenal questions. Thank you, Ruth. Phenomenal insights and good eyes. Virgil, good thoughts, comments, questions. Graham, Daniel, everyone who came today it was just a phenomenal meetup. I really want to give you a big, a big thank you. On that note, get on out of here. Go enjoy your Thursday afternoon and keep advancing cannabis science. Thank you all. Mm -hmm.